The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link, along with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Shout out to New Day, N-E-U-D-A-E, at New Day Music on Twitter. We appreciate them letting us use the song Lion Kings as our intro this season. James, we're going to be touching on your latest farm futures piece, anticipating call-up dates. Very helpful, as always. And look, baseball is a business. Business first and foremost, and... While as fans and fantasy players may want to see these young guys up right away to start the season, maybe their performance warrants that realistically. But th- these teams are going to play these games and, and get an extra year of control, save some money if they can, because in the long run it only makes sense to maximize the dollars spent from year to year. Yeah, and especially with some of these organizations. like We're going to be talking about some – rebuilding clubs some very cost conscious clubs and those teams especially are going to always try to play these games to kind of gain whatever advantage they can and you know it's it's kind of rare that we see a a a team just kind of eschew all of these factors and you know pull what the Braves did with Jason Hayward all those years ago and and put him on the opening day roster I mean that just hardly ever happens so you got to be cognizant of when these dates are that that impact uh, years of control and Super 2 status. Yeah, I mean, it it does kind of suck as a fan and fantasy player, but it just makes good business sense, so you have to assume this will happen with, with these top prospects. Can you just kind of lay out for us first off just what the new CBA uh, lays out in terms of you know gaining control and, and free agency for these guys who are coming up and then going pre-arbitration before hitting the open market? Uh, so there's kind of two factors at play here. There's the, you know, you hold a guy down, like what we saw from Chris Bryant, uh, a couple of years ago where everybody knew he was ready, uh, to face big league pitching. The Cubs were going to obviously though, hold him down, uh, 
for 10, 11, 12 days uh, to get it, to, to call him up when there were fewer than 172 days remaining in the season. And that way they get him for seven years instead of just six years. And that's a, that's a pretty common tactic this year. It's, it's a little bit more murky with some of these guys. Cause a lot of the top guys that we're going to be talking about already debuted last year, but their teams might still play these games this year. So the, the dates aren't all the same. Uh, and then the super two status is super complicated. It, it basically, it boils down to if, if you get called up before whatever the cutoff date is, um, for that year and you won't know it until, uh, three years down the road. But if you get called up, uh, as one of the top 22% of all two year players in service time, then you're going to get four years of arbitration instead of three years of arbitration. And it's, it's, I lay it out a lot better in the article than I, than I can on air. It's just, it's kind of complicated and, and dense stuff. Uh, yeah, it's very complicated, but I tried to power through those rules the other day and it's just, just in a tangled mess. Kind of. Right. I mean, yeah, you, you, this is, and this is just such a small aspect of, of all this stuff, but I mean, it's, it's very relevant to, to fantasy players. So what I tried to do is kind of lay out, uh, in the two groups of players, there's, there's the players who super two probably won't be a, a huge consideration, but getting that extra year of control will be. And when those specific dates are, when, when certain guys like Yon Mankata can get called up and, and the team gets that seventh year. And then, uh, with, with some of these other guys, you know, what what time of the, in the calendar are we looking at? It's it's usually going to be in that sort of mid June range when a team can safely call up a guy and and avoid the super two uh, situation and and which players are, are prime candidates to to get called up kind of in the the early summer months. Yeah, well, let's start with Mancada. Impressive showing yesterday: two homers, one against Jason Hamill, second one against Kelvin Herrera. Oppo shot, but we've seen him crush fastballs. Both were fastballs. He has work to do on the off-speed and breaking stuff. And, you know, spring performance, uh, you know, is kind of out the window with a rebuilding team like the White Sox who get a, a top prospect like this. Control is of utmost importance for them right now. And you have to factor in that he spent 29 days, almost a full month on the Boston roster, active roster last year. So he's not going to be a guy who's just up within the first two weeks. Where do you land on an estimated earliest possible date for Mankato? So it's it's May 13th is when they can call him up <clears throat> and get that uh maximize their their control over the player. I think that it it uh it makes a lot of sense for them to do that. And I think it works out perfectly just in terms of where Moncada is from a development perspective. I think May 13th is honestly like the earliest that I think he he might be ready to get called up. I know he went uh he had a couple homers yesterday. Uh obviously that's certainly within his skill set, but he's not in that Chris Bryant class where he's super overqualified to go back to AAA. I mean, this is a guy that didn't even get to AAA last year, just got uh, skipped over from AA to the majors and uh struggled obviously. Everybody knows he struggled against big league pitching. He's he's struck out quite a bit already this spring I could see him dominating eventually against triple-a pitching but I, I don't see them sending him down for for just a few weeks and being like all right you're ready I think they're going to make him kind of get a nice little five six seven week sample size going down there I mean they, they don't really have any reason to rush him and you know I, I think I think May May 13th is is the earliest you're going to see him very interesting yeah I think yeah, most leagues are probably not going to want to stash a guy like Mankata, especially at the price. He's still, you know, the price isn't cheap after they release Brett Laurie, but I think uh, when he gets called up, I'm going to be in on that fab bidding for sure because I still believe in the bat, and of course we've seen that speed at the in the minors over the past two seasons, 40-plus stolen bases each of the last two in the minors. But just looking at the White Sox minor or major league roster real quick, I think most people are expecting Tyler Saladino, to start at second base. But we saw our friend Mike Gianella take Yolmer Sanchez, and I think he took him in labor. 
Can you just tell me a little something about Sanchez? Because, I mean, this guy's a switch hitter, 24 years old, but I really don't know much about this guy's skill set. Uh, former, formerly known as Carlos Sanchez, he actually changed his oh, name. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He played in the majors quite a bit in 2015. Yeah. yeah this guy is not anything. No, he's he's garbage. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Gianella was, I mean, that's that's not a bad play if you're just looking for at-bats yeah. in an AL only. At-bats are, are really a, a cherished commodity in an only league. Right. At-bats and in innings. Right. So, I mean, nobody expects Yomer Sanchez to do yeah. anything. For some reason, I yeah, I thought he maybe was like an international guy. Who It'd I didn't be a know lot cooler Carlos if he Sanchez. wasn't Carlos Sanchez. Yeah. <laughs> be a lot Ty- more fun. Going back to your article now, <laughs> Tyler Glass now, we've seen some, some real struggles from him so far this spring. I mean, 10 hits, six earned runs, and six and a third. I mean, 9Ks, so you know, he still flashes that great strikeout stuff, but still seems to be a work in progress. Is he kind of in that Mankata boat where – yeah, they want to gain that year of control, but it's also a situation where he still has some ironing out to do in the minors. Yeah, man, he's he's just the command is is still lagging way behind where the rest of the skills are. And I actually think guys like Chad Cool, Drew Hutchison, Stephen Brault are probably more ready right now. Like they're they're more deserving. This isn't he's getting sent down strictly for these these uh service time issues. I think he. I don't think he's ready to be one of the five most reliable guys in that rotation. So, you know, it might seem like, you know, really, really a, a penny pinching strategy to hold him down. But June eighteenth, if if they keep him down till June eighteenth, they get an extra year of control on him. And yeah, I think it's. I think it might just line up with with where he's at. I mean, it's it's going to be all about how many strikes he's throwing. You should be able to tell pretty early on whether this is going to be an issue for him. I I don't see the Pirates as the type of team that's going to like they they're not going to pull the plug on him as a starter for for a while. Like he's just he's too talented. It's too hard for a team like that to get uh top of the rotation starters without developing them so that they're not going to pull the plug on on that for for a while so i think they're going to do everything they can to to fix his uh his command control issues and that just might line up with with that june 18th date so i think glass now he could definitely be up before then he's got the stuff to miss a ton of bats even if he's a, a bit of a ratio killer but i think he's a he's an awfully risky guy to go stashing in single season leagues right now yeah i said i wouldn't really be interested in stashing Moncada. He's kind of borderline, though, in a 15-team mixed league. Glasnow is really beyond that. I would not want to stash a guy like that in a, in a mixed league because that that bench spot is, is really valuable. And we, you know, we're looking at that June 18th as, yeah, that seems realistic. I, I don't think a, a call-up before that date is very realistic at all. But what about Lucas Giolito? Spent 40 days in the majors last season. Recent outings has not looked very good. Topping out at 93 i think people need to realize that you know it, it pay attention to when they see topping out because you may see topping out and just kind of think oh he was sitting around 93 no that's topping out like i saw zach grinky oh his, his velo rebounded he was topping out at 90 91 the other day sitting you know 89 90 uh, and so topping out for giolito at, at 93 is not a good sign he is another guy that just doesn't look ready right now for a, a regular major league role no, and you know it wasn't just the velocity with Giolito on. Uh, I think that was Tuesday. He was really struggling with his command, uh, just walking a ton of guys. I think he. I don't think he got a single swinging strike in in thirty pitches. I mean, he's. He, there's just a lot of issues with him right now, and the hope is that it's a it's a dead arm issue where you know maybe he's just building up strength in his arm right now but I don't know I it just doesn't it doesn't feel right it doesn't smell right like this is a guy who who ended last year on a a terrible note he gets traded and then he comes in and and it's kind of all the same problems we're seeing them them back again with the command and the velocity and those were the two big things where his command had really backed up from a couple of years ago and the velocity just was, you know, three, four miles per hour, uh, lower than on average than it had been 
uh, just even back in, in 2015. So to see those same issues still be there uh, in spring just really is not a good not a good sign. It definitely I mean, it, you and I were some of the only people that liked that trade for the, the Nationals when it happened. Just felt like they they were cashing out on an asset that was going to continue to depreciate in Giolito. And, and I don't want to I mean, I, I'm not saying he's done. I don't. I mean, if he if he can add that velocity and improve his command, he can definitely get back to being a you know number two starter caliber of pitcher. I just I think that when a, a teams don't trade aces with six years of control, and I think that you can kind of see that right now. So I'm I'm not targeting Giolito in in any format in in a dynasty league. Man, I mean, the price might be so low in certain places that you just got to hold him. But if you can if you can cash him in for a, a top twenty five prospect, I'd do that immediately. Yeah, I mean this is a guy that you know we've talked about. It. He's had Tommy John before. We don't know that he's hurt right now, but you know these kind of issues, uh, you know, an injury diagnosis follows these type of issues in a lot of a lot of cases. But we'll move on to Jesse Winker. We've talked about Winker too a lot in the past. We both love his ADP of five seventy, and you know draft and hold leagues behind. Billy Burns, Robbie Grossman, and Aaron Hicks for some unimaginable reason. But, you know, he's not really showing much power at all still in spring training. Just two extra base hits in 37 plate appearances. But he's not been in the majors yet, so he can come up on April 14th and the Reds would gain that extra year of control. I think they maybe want to get a look at Scott Schebler, but that's not really a, a roadblock at all for a guy like Winker. It was such a good... Uh, feel for the strike zone, command of the strike zone. Do we have Desmond Jennings on a minor league deal? Could make the opening day roster, but do you think th- these Reds call up Winker soon after or maybe on April 14th? I really hope so. I, I think that – I mean, I hope they've seen enough of Scott Shebler. Maybe <laughs> they haven't. Maybe they want to see some You'd more of Scott so. Shebler. But, You'd uh, think so. Yeah, I mean, I think Winker's a better option right now than that Shebler jennings platoon – I mean, I don't even really like Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall is obviously not going to lose out on playing time this year just based on where the, the Reds are. But, I mean, I, I like Winker more than Duvall uh, long-term as a hitter. And and Winker's one of the guys – like, we're going to talk about several guys on here that maybe sniffed AAA towards the end of last year. Winker was at AAA for all of last year. He's ready. I mean, he's he's the rare guy from this year that actually is that guy that's over – qualified to probably start the year at triple a like usually we have a couple of these guys last year you know aj reed jose barrios were, were two guys who we thought you know they should be in the majors but they're going to be held down for these service time reasons this year it's really only winker that that i think you can say he should be in the majors to start the year but he'll be held down for for service time reasons uh yeah like like you said that adp is crazy given given the fact that he he should be up i, I think he'll be up in april if he isn't, I just I don't know what the, I don't know what they want to see out of Scott Shebler. I think we all kind of know what Scott Shebler is. Hopefully, Shebler is just terrible uh, to start the year so that we can kind of expedite this process. But uh, Winker, I think, is worth stashing in deeper leagues. He doesn't have the impact potential yet because I don't know if he'll be batting high up in that order just yet. But in deeper leagues, I think the batting average should be uh, pretty reliable, and he'll get on base at a pretty solid clip from day one. During NL labor, I was logging the picks for our friend Steve Gardner of USA Today. Steve Moyer had a flight to catch, so he asked me to uh, finish off the the draft for him, the auction and reserve rounds. He had a max bid of like two bucks. Used that on Winker, and I hope he was pleased with that. Because in a league like that, NL only for for two bucks, one of your final bench spots. When Shebler is going for like eight, yeah. Uh, think that hopefully he's happy with that hopefully that that pans out for him but yeah I mean I think uh just thinking about Winker when he comes up he said he profiles nicely as the Reds number two hitter down the road thinking about it I don't know if they'd want Billy and then lefty lefty with Winker Votto maybe they will and then you have a guy like Duvall fourth but do you think that is where he, he settles in initially or do you think maybe they bat him lower initially no I think they're the Reds are the type of team that's going to make him earn it I think uh so that's that's why I said like I mean in 
12 team, definitely not. 15 team, maybe if you get deep benches, you, you stash him. But it's it's really more of a, a deeper deeper than 15 team mix and uh, NL only is where he's going to be very useful this year. Like maybe he maybe he just takes advantage of Great America and, and hits 15, 20 out in his rookie year. I don't really see that. I see a high average. I see him batting maybe sixth or seventh in the lineup. Um, and, I, and I said future number two hitter just because I think that's that's just a perfect uh, description of the type of hitter he's going to be. Like I don't I don't see him as a major run producer. Uh, he's he's Joey Votto basically with less power. Obviously Joey Votto's got an eighty grade hit tool. I wouldn't put that on any prospect really, but uh, I think he fits really nicely as a number two hitter. Uh, with with some bigger bats behind him to help drive him in. Yeah, I mean, I'm biased because I'm a Reds fan, but I'm really hoping Winker pans out because he could be a great, you know, kind of case lesson in buying the skills, buying the, the plate discipline, the core skills, because, yeah, we haven't seen great power from him, really good power, even average power lately, or plus speed. But if a guy like this with this kind of approach can come up uh, in success, I think like more people in Dynasty Keeper Leagues will – look at those core core numbers, the plate discipline, strike zone control, uh, and kind of focus on those rather than falling in love so much with the plus power and plus speed. Well, it's a fortunate situation, too, because, look, if, if Jesse Winker was in the Cubs system, like I've, I've compared Mark Zagunas in the Cubs system to Winker before, and like if Winker was in a, a system like that, I don't know when he'd get a chance because it's just like, it does, it, there's not really enough power there for him to be someone you're super excited about playing in a corner, mm. but the Reds, it's just perfect because we're gonna f- we're gonna let a guy like this, or we're gonna get to see a guy like this try to develop that power over time and and just get a chance because of how good that hit tool and that approach are. Yeah, and you got to remember with Winker, he's been playing in some really, really favorable pitchers' parks, especially in Dayton. Uh, I think and he was a little banged Vegas up last year too, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yeah, he had a wrist injury, which I think sapped the power. Right, I, still seems to be down. I think he has more thump in that bat than than we've seen. Yeah, I think I think he could be a twenty homer guy at some point. And I think the fact that he hit so few homers last year is why you see that ADP so low. Is you just have, you know, your your single season sharks that aren't really that in on on the prospects. Just look at what he did in terms of power last year and say, well, where can I really profit from this player? I think that's that's definitely. Uh, a, the wrong the wrong way to look at it. Jose De Leon spent 29 days in the minors in the majors. Sorry, with the Dodgers last year, same number of days as Mancada. So he's got May 13th uh, as his likely earliest possible promotion date. His team gave up a nice piece and Logan Forsythe to acquire him. So do you think they find room for De Leon as soon as they get that extra year control? Yeah, I mean, Matt Andres, I think, is going to start the year as their fifth starter, uh, assuming that doesn't go super well. I think you'll see De Leon up in mid-May. Uh, I guess if, if all five guys in that rotation are just pitching well and, and they're healthy, maybe De Leon stays down a bit longer. But I think if there's an obvious opening for him, uh, presumably over a guy like Andres, I think he will be up in mid-May. Quick note from our sponsor, Auto New Fantasy Baseball lets you build – your fantasy baseball dynasty the same way Major League GMs do. It's better fantasy baseball, auction-based, deep rosters in the full minor leagues in the player pool. Get the next Mike Trout or Carlos Correa while they are still in single A. Trade for a superstar's midseason to make a championship push. Develop your team over multiple years. Play against the best fantasy baseball competition on the internet. Auto new fantasy baseball. That's www.ottoneu. Dot com. Now, we'll get into Super 2 uh, players here. You mentioned we, we won't know the cutoff, but last year it was 131 days uh, of Major League Service time, if I'm not mistaken. These rules are just complicated. I, I still have trouble stomaching these. But we know basically that uh, you know it's later, obviously, than the, the cutoff for getting that extra year control and um, – this really kind of comes into play. I mean, some of these guys are knocking at the door, but these are kind of players that, you know, we look at and we think more of late season call up than anything. I think that's best to 
kind of just generally expect them to be up, you know, probably on or later than July 1st. Yeah. And I, I try to only really talk about potential impact players when we're talking about super two being a factor, because you know, you it's, it's about saving a year of arbitration for most players. That's only going to boil down to, you know, three, $4 million. And for a big league team, that's, that's not much at all. Uh, but for for the really good players, it you're talking about maybe saving ten, twelve, fifteen million uh, by cutting out that extra arbitration year. So, I mean, I, I don't. Usually, you're not going to see teams worry about this with pitchers unless it just really fits into their where they're at in terms of contending and where the pitchers at in terms of development. You will see it with some some high profile position players, though. Uh, basically, it means like if the cutoff last year was two years, hundred thirty one days that means that if if they were in the big leagues for two years and 130 uh 131 days then they get that extra year if it was 130 days then they don't get the extra year so that you know that's that's late may uh back in 2013 it was only two years and 122 days so it can get into june so if teams want to be really safe then they're gonna keep a guy down until until you get to mid-june just to be extra sure that they've uh, skipped that extra year of arbitration. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, I <clears throat> I was thinking just to be safe thinking about July 1st, but, yeah, probably mid-June is the uh, the best route, if you're, even if you're being conservative. But let's talk about some of these guys. J.P. Crawford, he's one that I know a lot of people feel is close to Major League ready, but they do have Freddie Galvis, Cesar Hernandez, set in the middle infield. I've been a little skeptical about Crawford. I've said it for a while just because I don't think he has, you know, the power of speed to make a huge difference at what is now a pretty robust position in, in shortstop. But you see him hitting his way up and them giving him a look really as soon as that super two day passes. I was actually, I talked with uh, Matt Winkleman um, who does, he's, he's excellent with Philly's prospects on Twitter. It's Matt underscore Winkleman. If you want to follow him, uh, I just I wanted to pick his brain quick on Crawford before writing him up and and he was saying uh that you know if he's raking and you know assuming Freddie Galvis and Cesar Hernandez are not uh one of them is is maybe having a mediocre year which is certainly possible if not expected then Crawford could actually be up in mid-May uh and before the Super 2 cutoff the Phillies are a team where I mean they by the time it's it's arbitration time with Crawford, they're going to be running a $150, $160 million payroll, so it's not going to be a huge issue for them. I think they would they would call him up at that point because this I honestly think this Phillies team isn't all that far away from, from getting a little frisky and, and being in the wild card mix. So if they're off to a good start, I could see Crawford up in mid-May. He's just that good of a defender. He's going to get on base. Like you said, the, the – Counting stats, power speed aren't going to be all that exciting, but it's a it's a skill set that I think will translate uh, pretty quickly against big league pitching in terms of just getting on base and playing really solid defense. So he could be up in mid-May. More likely, though, he just gets off to an okay start, a pretty solid start. Cesar Hernandez, Freddie Galvez kind of tread water, and then he's up in mid-June. What about Austin Meadows? This kid, I mean, 21 years old, really holding his own – I guess, you know, is he 22 yet? No, not doesn't turn 22 until May, but he uh, off to a really good start in, in Major League camp in spring training, batting 300, 481 on base, 600 slug, uh, a stolen base even, just one more strikeout than walk. But he's a situation, he's, he's the kind of player where it's, you know, maybe this date doesn't truly matter because even if this date comes and there's not an injury that paves the way for him, He's just not going to get a major league opportunity because he needs to have an everyday role before they give him the call. Yeah, I think he's the toughest prospect to evaluate for 2017 purposes because he's a rare guy who by you know May or June is probably going to be ready to make major fantasy contributions, uh, hit hit well enough against big league pitching to be useful in most formats but we need an injury or a trade to open up that playing time for him. So it's, it's like, you know, it's there, but you also just don't know when that door is going to open for him. So 
I don't really know what to do with him. I'm probably not going to end up with him in any single season leagues just because of that. It's like if you stash him to start the year, when do you when are you willing to give up on that stash? Like how long are you willing to see that through? Because you know that it's not really in his hands. It's it's got to be something happening at the big league level. Yeah, and how do you really want to be in a situation like I know somewhere last year where they maybe drafted Trey Turner in the reserves, stashed him, but they just kept kept him down so you ultimately drop him. Then you don't get him when he's called up, and then you end up, you know, just thinking about what could have been. And that's why, I mean, with, with the Trey Turner thing was beyond insanity. I mean, it was just the, the Nationals being really Ridiculous. obtuse with the way that yeah. they were. That's uh, a nice way to put it, obtuse. Approaching yeah. that whole situation. Like we all knew. Like, I remember last. Hey, Danny's our shortstop. I don't know. That was just just silly. And they, I mean, not only Danny, I mean, he at least gave him good defense. They, gave, they were getting nothing out of center field for for most of last year. Yeah. Really um, bad. But, yeah, I mean, Meadows, sure, if, you, if you've if you got a deep bench. Or you're just a, a gambler and want to roll the dice on, on a guy with a bunch of upside. Makes sense because he will be ready, but it's just, you know, how, how did he get that playing time? Yeah, I mentioned I got – Winker for Steve Moyer, our own Derek Van Riper, ended up getting Meadows. I think for a buck, so that could be. I think in NL in NL labor, you someone's got to get Meadows for yeah. a buck, if not more than a buck, just because you know some of the guys that are going for a buck in that league could could be negative yeah. guys. Like they could cost you, they could earn earn negative dollars. So I think having Meadows for a buck is is a really great buy in in that format. Yeah, I think buying. Yeah, that format's a little different because you can't – the guys you purchase in the auction have to stay in your lineup unless they're on the DL or the minors or released. So I think buying some of these distant or like seemingly distant prospects with your last couple bucks so you can swap them out with the reserve makes a lot of sense in a format like that. Let's move on to your Brewers and Josh Hader. You know, not as good after making the jump to Colorado Springs, but very tough pitching environment. He's going to be, you know, super – having super two considerations come into play with his call up, but this is a guy that, you know, he could step in and be one of their, their best starters right from the get go. Do you still believe that that will be the case? I think it's going to be kind of, I don't know, not a roller coaster, but it's going to be some growing pains. Maybe interesting when, when he gets, you know, I think he'll be up in, in June or July, uh, the the numbers probably aren't going to be all that shiny from from AAA just because of pitching at Colorado Springs. So you might see someone draft him and drop him. Uh, you might see him go for less in terms of fab dollars than he should just based on his numbers at the time of his call-up. But he should miss bats right away. I just think he's going to struggle with pitch efficiency, at least initially. So you might see him go like five innings strike out seven or eight and not qualify for the decision and what maybe maybe walks three or four guys too uh, I think that's that's going to be kind of how things go for him early on I think eventually you know after 10 12 starts in the big leagues he'll hit a bit of a groove and, and finish the year strong but I think it, there will be some growing pains yeah I'm fading guys like hater and single season leagues I just think you know that kind of mid to lower tier of, of starting pitching this season you know Jarrell Cottons Vince Velasquez those types they can you know that 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 area of the starting pitching pool those tiers are pretty flush and you know we read Scott Jensted's article uh, in the magazine this year about fading these highly touted young pitchers in, in the NFBC and I think that's really smart because we took a shot on Barrios last year and that just really uh, hurt us and I just think I'd rather get some guys who've shown something, proven something at the major league level and, and maybe stock up in those tiers rather than reaching for these guys who we don't know when they're going to come up. We don't know how they're going to fare when they first get the chance. So I think Hater's a guy that I'll be looking uh, for somebody else to pick up in most leagues. Brent Honeywell, love the screwball. He's got a lot of different offerings. This is a price-conscious MLB organization, as you point out here in this article. Rotowire.com slash pod, by the way for free 10-day trial to check out James's full piece. 
They also have Jose de Leon, who we mentioned, kind of a crowded rotation there. They could make a trade, or of course an injury could open up a spot. Do you think Honeywell could have more initial success possibly than a guy like de Leon? Yeah, well, yeah, I think he's, I think he he'll be a better pitcher than De Leon probably as soon as he gets to the majors. I I just there there's a big gap there for me in terms of of upside and safety. I think Honeywell not only has the 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 really solid repertoire, but he has uh, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to be efficient with his pitches. He uh, throws a lot of strikes. I think that he's going to have a, a really pretty seamless transition to the big leagues. So I, I'm not going to – I'm with you. Like what, what you said about Hayter, I think, is is the best way to go with the pitching prospects specifically. Almost – it's very rare that it actually ends up being like a, a big, great investment for you. I mean, if you if you added like Sean Manaya last year, that ended up being pretty solid, but it wasn't – it wasn't a game changer. I don't think mm-hmm. it probably won many people in their league. So got off to a poor start, right? Yeah, I mean, you might have. Who knows how many of his good starts you even had him in your lineup for? Um, exactly. So yeah, I, I I like Honeywell a lot. If he gets called up and he's out there on on waivers, I'll definitely throw a bid in on him. But he's not a guy I'm going to stash. Tyler Beatty's a guy who technically vying for that fifth spot according to the VP of Baseball Ops there in San Francisco, but. Uh, he's been g- generating a little bit more buzz this spring. I mean, he's their top prospect, but I know his spring performance has surprised some people. I mean, it's not really that great when looking at it. As many Ks as walks with four apiece, but do you think he's a guy? I mean, there there are uncertainties at the back end. I guess maybe Ty Block and and Matt Kane, the more realistic options out of camp for that fifth spot. But do you think Beatty, his talent wins out? and he gets the call once the super day super two cutoff happens. You know, he's a really tough one to predict because like, like I said, like if I'm running a big league team, I'm not really going to let super two dictate when I'm calling up a pitching prospect because who the heck knows what that guy's going to be doing in, in four or five yeah, years. Use like, those bullets. Yeah. If I, they're good bullets. I like the idea of getting them. If you think a guy's ready and you think he's your best option, when it comes to pitching prospects, I'm all about just just getting him up. Yeah, sure. If 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 you think he's the best guy, maybe hold him down, get that extra year of control, call him up in mid-April. But but then just call him up. Uh, so maybe BD doesn't really get maybe Super Two doesn't really uh, factor into this. But I I do anticipate he starts the year in the minors at AAA. He I think he finished the year at AA last year. So certainly no slight on him to send him to to AAA. Ty Block, I, I look. He he's probably a, a swing man at best, but I think he's he's earned a, a a chance to to see what he can do in that fifth starter role. The Giants are a good enough team where I don't think getting you know two months even of of mediocre starts out of that spot in the rotation is gonna gonna sink them. So you know, and BD BD probably could use the time at AAA. So I'm I'm thinking June July for him. Another guy that I'm not not good enough to stash. He's he's a mid rotation guy at best, even in that park. Um, but but if he gets the call and he's out there, definitely got to go grab him. Uh, Ozzy Albie's he's kind of in that same boat as a guy like Austin Meadows, where you know regardless of this the Super Two date, it could be a situation where you know he'll he'll need an injury before he gets the call. Brandon Phillips has been relatively healthy. Performance has been falling off. And I think, you know, the fact that they went out and got Sean Rodriguez and when Rodriguez got hurt, they acted fast to get Phillips speaks to them kind of wanting to uh, maybe slow play Albies for most of the season. Do you see him more of like late, maybe like late July, August before he gets the call? Well, do you, uh, I mean, there's, there's a different, there's a handful of ways that he could get the call. Uh, and get regular at bats. I haven't seen anything to this uh, effect, but you know, I guess given Brandon Phillips some starts at third base, I don't think would be hmm. insane. Um, I mean, Adonis Garcia, Rio Ruiz, like, come on, uh, you out on Adonis. Damn, <laughs> I'm come out on, on Adonis. Uh, I mean, if Dansby, <laughs> yeah, you were Swan- never in, just for if, clarification. If, if Dansby Swanson gets hurt, Ozzy Albies is is the guy that would would come up. Um, if Brandon Phillips is just not hitting, I think it's pretty easy. Like, 
it's a lot easier for the Braves to just bench Phillips and be cool with it than it was in in Cincinnati where he sort of had just kind of had free reign on that organization for for quite a while um yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if Albies is just looking like the better option in June or July but then you also run into the well this isn't a team that's going to be contending so you know they're they're not going to call Albies up until he's ready but I I do think he is going to be uh putting up really impressive numbers uh this summer at triple a so He's a guy that I think is going to be stashed in, in quite a few formats once we get to the middle of the summer. A trio of outfielders you wrote up next, and I think I know where you stand on these guys long-term in terms of where they rank. Clint Frazier, Lewis Brinson, Bradley Zimmer, but just in terms of 2017, is there is the order maybe a little different? Do you see one of these guys maybe coming up and having you know more initial success uh, as they start on the major league learning curve? I think they're going to all have similar uh, weaknesses when they get the call. I think they're all going to struggle to make consistent contact. I think you could see them all run strikeout rates 28, 30, 32% at least. Maybe with Bradley Zimmer, it might even be more than that. Uh, And they all have similar skills. They can all run a little bit. They can all hit for power. I look at opportunity and it's it's clearly pointing in Bradley Zimmer's favor because you still have Ellsbury uh, Gardner Aaron Judge is going to be given uh, a little bit of leash to to see how he does in right field so I I mean Frazier he could could have an opportunity come come June or July Brinson he needs an injury major regression from Keon Broxson which based on what he's done this spring, doesn't look likely, and or a Ryan Braun trade to get at-bats, whereas Zimmer might be the best option come come late May. I mean, that, that outfield is pretty awful by the standards of a, a team that's competing to win a World Series. So I think Zimmer's probably the best play just for this year um, if, you're just, if you're just basing it on playing time, but I do think he's going to be quite a batting average trade. Right? Yeah, interesting. I guess the X factor with Zimmer, and we've talked about it before, is, is probably Greg Allen. I mean, Zimmer's got some impressive speed as well, but a guy like Allen, I think, you know, just won't be that drag in the batting average category, as you mentioned. And he's a guy that, you know, this team without Rajai Davis needs somebody to, to bring a speed element, uh, maybe pinch run in certain instances where he's, he's sitting. And I think Allen could be a guy that, that helps there and maybe this they're not as inclined to, to play that waiting game with Allen because maybe they don't view him as a as a marquee type of prospect worth worrying about with super two do you think that may be the case I just think that Zimmer's I, I think Allen's a safer prospect I think everything you said is is true I just think Zimmer's closer just based on experience in the minor leagues and age I mean they're I mean they're both kind of old but uh I think we see Zimmer get the call first. I think Allen probably gets the call in August or September, assuming he continues to uh, keep on this developmental curve. I just I think Zimmer's a little closer. I like Allen more, though. Interesting. Franklin Barreto, he's having a nice spring. Finally hit his first homer of the spring today. I've been kind of down on him ever since we saw him in the fall league, but this is a team that, you know, after – Getting him the Donaldson trade and other pieces haven't really panned out. They need Beretta to play out, to pan out, and be a kind of a major league anchor in that infield. Now, I know they want to probably recoup some ROI, but they, they also want him to be ready when he gets the call. So do you think maybe a super two-day passes and we still don't see Beretta? Uh you know, there, there's nobody really in his way on the big league roster at second base. Uh, Jed Lowry's going to start out the year with the job, but he'll be hurt by the time that second <laughs> that Super 2 deadline comes around. So the, the A's have really never been shy about promoting guys, even though they are a very – they run a really low payroll, so you'd think they'd be extremely uh, conservative when it comes to losing service time or – uh, extra arbitration years, but they they always promote their guys. It seems when when they think they're ready. Uh, Sean Manaya was up last year before I think a lot of people expected him to be up. I think if Barreto's hitting and there's an opening, I mean if if Barreto's hitting and like whoever's playing second base is just mediocre, come uh, come June I think you could see him actually. 
Cody Bellinger, not a great spring with the big league club. Uh, 43 plate appearances, just seven hits, one extra base hit, and 13 strikeouts. I think maybe people got a little carried away after seeing him in the fall league. This is a team that has plenty of outfield depth. Obviously, Adrian Gonzalez at first base. Uh, I'm starting to kind of take a hard out stance on Bellinger in 2017 team or 2017 leagues, but do you think maybe he could get the call and uh, does he have the talent to really stand out initially when he gets the call up? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to – I'm with you. Like, of the guys we've talked about, and even the guys I've, I've written up here for the this J2 thing, I'm probably not going to have shares of, of any of them except for maybe I could see myself grabbing J.P. Crawford late. I could see myself uh, grabbing a guy like Chance Cisco just because of how shallow catcher is. But, yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you in terms of just Bellinger for 2017. Like, I, I think that he'll be up before – say Willie Calhoun or Alex Verdugo who are also guys that that ended the year at double at a last year but I just don't know when he'll be up I don't know where he'll play how often he'll play so yeah I think there's there's enough uncertainty here in terms of just the playing time take take skills out of it I think there's there's enough uncertainty surrounding the amount of at bats that that I I'm out on him as well yeah, I'm completely with you on being out on most of these guys for 2017. Except for one guy who I have already grabbed a couple shares of. He's the last guy you wrote about in the article. We could jump back up and touch on some of these other guys in a second. But Rowdy Telez, that's just really a situation where it was AL only in the reserve rounds where I was just kind of taking a flyer on a young guy uh, who really has a, a pretty clear path. I mean, Justin Smoke, Steve Pierce, going to probably platoon early. Justin Smoke, I mean, on the large end of that pl- platoon, that's pretty disgusting. You you describe him here as, quote, a terrible hitter by first base standards, <laughs> and I certainly agree with that. You've also heard John Gibbons praise Telez on a couple occasions this spring. I just feel like that hitting environment, the hitting environments in general in the AL East and opportunity leads to a, a possible, you know, possible success story for, for Telez in 2017. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of – I mean, to me, he he falls into the same kind of group of of the rest of these guys in terms of I'm I'm not all that interested at least in drafts. Like obviously, with any of these guys, once they get the call or once it's looking like they're about to get the call, I think that they should be added in in a decent amount of formats. But I just don't I don't know. I think I mean the Blue Jays didn't have to pay Justin Smoke, and they did. Like they they they're purposely giving him money. Uh, to be there and Boy, you imagine <laughs> like it's it's they're obviously higher on him than the rest of us uh, I know they like his defense at first base um, Steve Pierce obviously mashes lefties but they can also find uh, playing time for him in the outfield I don't know I, I think Telez is it's a it's a nice spring I think he will be up at some point this year I just I'm not sure when that is it, it could be June it could be August and you know first base first basemen often don't just absolutely rake from day one or at least to the point where they're they're startable first basemen in especially in mixed leagues see aj reed yeah right like aj reed i still like aj reed aj reed can hit but look at his stock right now compared to where it was last year and it's just because he struggled in inconsistent big league at bats i mean i i don't think Rowdy Telez is a better hitter than AJ Reed, but like, you know, they might, they might have, Telez might have passed him in fantasy value in some people's eyes just because he hasn't failed in the big leagues yet. And he could easily do the exact same thing Reed did last year. So I like him if he gets the call. I just, I'm not willing to stash him because I don't think there's enough upside to, to warrant the risk. Some of these other guys you mentioned and wrote about Chance Cisco, Willie Adamas. Ahmed Rosario, Nick Williams, Kevin Newman. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're familiar with these names, and we've talked about them in, in past episodes. But any other aspects uh, that could factor in, into their call-ups or any little nuggets that you found doing this article? Uh, I think – I just want – I'll talk about uh, Cisco and Nick Williams. Um, 
like I, like I said, I'm fine if it's a 16, 17 team mixed league with two catcher spots, and I want to just get a dollar catcher, and maybe some of my other uh, top targets have have gone. I'm fine with Cisco just sitting there and giving me zero at catcher for for half the season because this is a guy that that can really hit. I think he's in that park. Uh, he can hit for a little bit of power too. He could occupy the strong side of a platoon behind the dish for them as as early as you know late June, early July. The Orioles are another team that is not shy about promoting guys when they think they're ready or when they think they give them the best option to win. I mean, the Manny Machado promotion all those years ago took everyone by surprise, and he wasn't even really ready to hit big league pitching, but he was just the best option when you factored in defense and hitting at, at third base for them. I think you're going to see a point in the season where Cisco looks like that guy uh, in Baltimore. So he's a guy I don't mind stashing in two catcher leagues. Nick Williams, this is a huge year for him. Uh, you're, I mean, everybody knows about the physical gifts with him. Incredible bat to ball ability, plus raw power, above average speed. Um, but he, you know, he's had some issues with, you know, makeup, um, just not really taking to coaching in terms of, of changing his approach at times, especially since he got into the Philly system. I could see him uh, raking at AAA and getting called up before the Super 2 cutoff with the expectation that he fails against big league pitching and gets sent down just so that they can be like, all right, man, you think you're, you think you're the, the shit, like go, go look at what you did against big league pitching. Like here's, here's a list of things you got to work on back at triple a. And if you do that, you're still not worried about the super two action. You're like, you can call a guy up before super two, if you plan on sending him back down and you can still be fine in that regard. So I think, I think Williams is, is a little reminiscent of, Javier Baez and Joey Gallo a couple years ago, where you might see him get a promotion just as kind of a teaching tool. Um, and I wouldn't, if, if you see him get called up, I'd he's worth a, a, a bid um, just based on the talent, but I also wouldn't get your, get your hopes up. Well, James, great stuff as always. We appreciate the insight and check out his latest farm futures piece, anticipating call updates. Go to wire.com slash pod for a free 10 day trial. We will be back with you guys next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.